Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, uh, running teams, and generally getting the most out of your team. Uh, it's me, Mark Johnson. I'm a performance teacher and a performance maker, and I am joined by Sean Gallagher, who is a sports coach. We're going to fight with each other about how best to run a team. How are you doing, Sean? I'm very well, Mark. I'm very well. Sorry to start so fighty. Uh, we might agree today. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think we agree more than we disagree. But um, I think it's a good mix. Uh, well, last episode proves it's a good mix. Uh, we are officially it- sanctioned as a great team. <laughs> yes, we have been given the official Belbin tick <laughs> that we work well together and we need each other to make yeah. this work. If one of us was gone, the other one would be flying solo and the uh, the podcast wouldn't happen. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't our last podcast. No, exactly. Very much so. Um, there's been, uh, I've had some good feedback for, from people on, on that episode though. Um, our oh, people loved Joe. Yeah, she was, she, she, it was great when we were interviewing and it was super fun to record. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Super fun to record. And that definitely came out in, in the episode and I'm glad people, gave that feedback because uh we enjoyed uh recording it as as i said so i'm glad that people enjoyed uh listening to it and super informative really practical and it was insightful for both yourself and i (laughs) to kind of step back and see see what kind of a, a team role we play um in kind of our organization but just generally how we probably would would be in other organizations exactly and and for those of you uh who are interested the discount code that uh, joe gave us for the assessment that we took uh, you can take it yourself and if you put in the discount code no i podcast uh, all one word all lowercase uh, you get 25 percent off which is wicked i'll put all the links in the show notes uh, i said earlier moments ago that uh, we might disagree we might agree um this is another one we've got today. The guests we have on today, I know nothing about what they do. Uh, and I, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't got a clue either. Um, we're talking to a chap called Gareth Evans, who is a local councillor, about how he collaborates with other councillors in in local government and also with the public. And And I went into it knowing nothing about how that works. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting episode because we, although we don't know what Gareth does uh, as a counsellor, we do know Gareth Evans. Exactly. <laughs> yes, and we do know him as a, as a colleague. So it's it was really interesting to see the other side of what what he does um, outside of work um, and how he kind of blends, you know, kind of both roles, I guess, because there, there is crossover. Um, you know, in different environments, there's crossover. So yeah, we just both. Yeah, we were both out of our comfort zones on this one uh, and, and we'd like to do that because that's kind of how we develop and how we kind of take on, you know, new knowledge, really. Um, and hopefully the audience will get uh, uh, that will come across to the audience as well. Yeah, so this should be super informative. So let's jump straight into Gareth Evans, who is a local councillor, telling us how he gets stuff done. <laughs> 
Sean and I are extremely pleased to welcome onto the podcast today Gareth Evans. Gareth is uh, the head of Lower School in uh, an independent school in central London. Uh, yes, that independent school in central London that Sean and I work at. So we know Gareth a little <laughs> bit. But what we want to talk to him uh, today about is his work as a district councillor uh, in local government. He is a district councillor for Chichester District Council in the Loxwood Ward. Did I get that right, Gareth? Hello. Hello, you did, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's right, yeah. I'm, the, uh, I'm a district councillor for uh, a, uh, a ward called Loxwood, which is right at the end of uh, Chichester District. So um, I'm right on the, the Surrey, West Sussex border. So I'm the, the last ward in the district. That is something that I know so little about. How about you, Sean? Even even less so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm hoping that uh, it's something that our listeners don't maybe don't know much about, uh, even though, uh, you know, hopefully we all vote in local elections and that maybe you can fill us in not just on what a district councillor does, but also as part of this chat, the kind of the way that the machinery of council works. We talk about teams here, we talk about how we collaborate, and it sounds like a particularly unique place for collaboration, uh, particularly when stuff has to get done. Um, I gave a very, very brief intro to you. Perhaps you mm-hmm. would be able to give us the full version, the rundown. What's uh, How have you got to where you are? So... Um... I have been interested in politics uh, for as long as I, I can remember. I think the um, the first election that I really remember being engaged with is um, in 1992. This is way before I could, yeah. could vote. Um, but um, it was a time when we had had uh, a Conservative government for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it was a moment where it looked like uh, Labour might win. Uh, and then Neil Kinnock gave uh, an ill-advised speech in Brighton, I believe it was, um, and uh, overnight lost a lot of a lot of support and ended up losing losing that election. That was to John Major, wasn't it? Was that John Major's one? That was one? To John yeah. Major. Yeah, and, and I remember my parents had zero interest in politics, and I basically had to force my mum down to the, uh, the the polling booth and. Uh, and get her to get her to vote, but I just remember being kind of super engaged in in uh, in that election, and and then kind of five years later having the opportunity to vote for the first time myself. So I think uh, for me, I've always been interested in. Um, I'm interested in media, obviously, because I, I teach media and film. So I've always been interested in the kind of shaping of of politics and um that 1997 election was a media election actually i remember i was just mm. too young to vote for that but that was the tony blair that's it things can only get better theme tuned yeah. election wasn't it i mean that's uh so i was i was 18 when that election happened and yeah. that was uh that was a, a really exciting first election to be to be involved it felt in. like a big deal didn't it and yeah because it was a it was a yeah. moment of a, a moment of massive change. And is, would you say that you sit? I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it in politics terms. Do you wear a red tie? <laughs> My tie is more red than it is blue. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair <laughs> enough. That and how does that fit with with Chichester? Um, 
It's an interesting because obviously, so I'm a I'm a, a Lib Dem councillor, yeah. um, and Chichester has, up until last year when we had the local elections, had always been dominated by a conservative uh, council. Mm. It's been a majority council for uh, uh, sort of since day dot, and that election actually, when I first got elected, we had um, it it went into no overall control which means that um, it was made up of Conservatives, Lib Dems, there's Green councillors, there's Labour councillors, uh, and there's some independent councillors as well. And so with no overall control, actually, it was quite, it was an interesting time because we, we had a much bigger, a bigger say on the council. Um, and then unfortunately, someone uh, uh, had to resign their seats and there was a by-election and that was one back by the conservatives it was just prior to the big uh, the big election in december where yeah. the conservatives as we know did very well so now i'm kind of hijacking your intro but you were talking about mm. something there and i think sean I, I thought i caught your eyebrow peeking up as well we when we talk to most people one of the team elements of what we're talking about is sharing this common goal now, this feels like an environment, particularly when you're in a, a, a room of councillors where there is no majority. How mm. do you guys agree on or, from your perspective, connect to that overall goal? What would you say the goal of the local council ends up being? Because you are a team, mm. effectively, even if there's kind of policy disagreement or value disagreement, you're all public servants. How do you frame that as a group? I mean, I, it's an interesting question that you that you raised first first of all because mm. I think that I I spent so long up until the point that I got elected being a political activist mm. um, and perhaps seeing uh, other political groupings as as the enemy. Yeah. Um, and the thing that surprised me most after I got elected is the realization that you're actually dealing with people, no matter what what political persuasion they are. They are, on the whole, decent people, uh, and on the whole, their their interests are fairly aligned with your own. Yeah. That is that you want to do good for your community. You want to serve your community. You hope that by the time your time as a councillor comes to an end, that you've been able to have an influence um, to help shape the community that you're that you're representing. Um, so that that kind of aspect really really surprised me mm. that suddenly um, these people that had been I'd thought were enemies were were no longer the enemies that I thought they were. Where where does that come from, Gareth? That kind of they're the enemy is that kind of just ingrained from day one, or is that just the language that is constantly used around you um, with with those that you kind of work with? I think it's um, I think because prior to the moment I got elected, I'd I'd always always been in the kind of battle of trying to win. Yeah. So um, right. th- there's always that kind of sense of what can you do that the other is not doing. Mm, yeah. Um, and then um, this was a completely new experience on uh, on getting elected. Actually, now we are we are a team, but we're a team with different I- ideologies, and we have to kind of try and mm. align ourselves at some point to move forward and progress whatever it is that we're debating yeah. that ultimately is going to 
be good for the community. Yeah. So, so that raises the question for me. Uh, and I don't know if there's a, a specific answer you can give or maybe just describing how you've seen it. But the question that raises for me is, under those circumstances, how does that good get done? How, what do you have to do in that room to bring those ideologies in sync or lined up? Does that take action from you or is that just something that happens? <laughs> I think, um, yeah, uh, you know, it, it, pre- preparing before you go into, uh, into the room. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, as, a, as a kind of political group, um, understanding what it is that you want to achieve for that particular issue um understanding that you probably will have to compromise on on certain aspects that's interesting that's interesting um, and and hoping that the the other side is also uh able to or willing to compromise um i mentioned earlier that when i first joined the council we had no overall control and then we've moved into a a, a period where we have by one councillor a a conservative led council so they now they now have a slim majority Mm. um my kind of observations over the the last year is when i first became a councillor it was a it was easier sometimes to get things done because there was no overall control so everyone had to had to negotiate we're going through a period at the moment where um they're trying to stamp their authority so Mm. Um, they are voting on on mass, and that can be quite frustrating sometimes because you can be in a position where actually they're in agreement, but just on principle they they won't uh, they won't yeah. side with you because is is there such a thing as as a as a whip in local council? Is there someone walking around going, "You will, you will vote this way"? So there, I know there is for. Um, uh, the Conservative <laughs> Party, I know that there is, but um, the so the party that I represent, the Liberal Democrats, we don't we don't have a we're not whipped, yeah, so to speak on prin- um, on we, principle. Uh, yeah, I think it's on principle that we, it's never been. A, we've always had the freedom to to vote on things how we how we would like to or how we want to, um, which is quite refreshing. I think. Yeah. Gareth, just going back on the point of um, having that kind of majority by one, by one, if 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 that's correct, um, if I've got that correct, yeah, you have. We, we've spoken in the past about sometimes kind of needing that hierarchy or mm. needing that kind of authority to make the decisions at some point. Mm-hmm. Can that also be a positive? Because at the end of the day, someone does have to have the end say and the final say and the verdict on decisions. And sometimes if we're too kind of, um, uh, if there's too much kind of media um, negotiation, you don't really come to a final decision sometimes and it can slow down processes or decisions. Is a majority helpful sometimes? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think it's helpful if you're the, uh, if you're the ruling party. Um, Stuff gets in, done, just not necessarily what you're after. <laughs> yeah, I think in the case of uh, for us, uh, then no, it's not that it's not that helpful because 
it can mean that it, it it feels like things are voted against on principle rather than than on the merit of yeah. the thing that we're we're debating. So, but yeah, certainly for if you are the uh, the party in control, then obviously it's it's helpful to have that that ability to be able to make uh, progress things quicker. Under those terms, is it important then, or how easy is it if it is important to have it to have a sense of the potential for change? How does how does feeling like you're not going to win this vote impact how you approach being a councillor? I never walk in to um, a debate feeling like I'm going to to lose, mm. even though mathematically um, that's possible. Um, but I think you know it goes back to to what I was saying earlier that es- essentially everyone in that room is there for kind of honest reasons that yeah. they they do they do want to affect change um and they are i think you know when you're dealing with district councils you are you are dealing with people that are community volunteers yeah they 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 aren't salaried you don't you don't get a salary for being a district councillor you are volunteering your time you're volunteering your your expertise that is really interesting and i hadn't considered it in those terms that as public servants all you can very very easily say we share a goal but in this case the minutiae the details of that goal might be fundamentally opposed to one another and so one i wonder how that impacts your approach but also i've just realized i don't know what that room looks like i don't know what that conversation looks like so what is it? Is it we go into a slightly dreary conference room in district council offices, town hall, sit around bad coffee and hash it out? Or is is it more formal than that? So um, uh, the council has um, a series of different types of of meetings. So you have full council meeting mm. um, and the full council meeting takes place. Uh, six times a year um and that's kind of the final the final point of uh any any kind of decision making that needs to take place it's been it's been through various other stages and then it's presented to the council to debate and vote upon um but then there are also uh committees um one very important committee is the overview and scrutiny committee um and so as an example, at the moment, um, we're, we're putting together a recovery plan, which is um, a recovery plan post-COVID-19. So how do, how do we get the district um, up and running again, mm. um, having, having been kind of economically impacted by, by this, uh, this pandemic? Um, so that's been put together by the, um, by the current um, the cabinet. Um, it goes to it goes to overview and scrutiny, uh, overview and scrutiny, scrutinise it uh, <laughs> and and suggest changes. It goes back to goes back to cabinet. And then um, finally, at the end of July, it's going to be presented to us at at uh, as as a, a full council. Yeah. Um, so so there's lots of opportunity to to get your point of view across to to make to suggest amendments yeah um to have to have your your voice heard so it doesn't just live in that vote no 
no so it goes through it goes through uh many uh many stages and uh i think you said how what is it like in that room it can be pretty exciting at times people can get quite quite impassioned um some people don't like it when meetings go on for too long no one about that no but. one likes meetings that go on for too long <laughs> yeah 15, 15 minutes and no chairs that's the no i in podcast yeah. meeting meeting uh rule yeah yeah that's our policy <laughs> gareth i was gonna say um when you said about going into a room where you're gonna need to debate and and never feeling like you know you you don't have the majority in that and that what you say won't be kind of um uh, taken on board or taken to the next stage uh, uh, by everyone else involved mm. between between yourself and the people that that you kind of work with is is there um who who's kind of in charge of that of that dialogue and that kind of uh, communication mm. that goes out to the people that you work with you know who's deciding every time we go in this room we feel as though we can win this debate or we can push these policies through or we can make change because I guess there has to be a cheerleader there and there has to be someone kind of really keeping you guys focused on on what your objectives are because I guess they can easily in politics kind of become very hazy and change and you know so who kind of keeps that together? So um, so we have a group leader um, who is also the the official leader of the opposition um, because he's um, we, we are the, the second largest party on the council okay um prior to any council meeting or any committee meeting um we're given uh, an agenda um and that agenda uh talks through basically gives us running order of all the different things that will be discussed at the meeting um and we have meetings as a group where we go through that agenda and we we debate the different um uh the different motions that are being uh uh, put forward at that council yeah um and we we talk about do we do we agree with this are we in favor do we want to put forward uh amendments so so there's a lot of kind of background preparation that goes into approaching those those meetings and so by the time we've gone to we get to a full council meeting or a committee meeting we already know what we're going to be what we're going to be putting forward um, and then there's kind of different strategies that you might you might adopt. So um, if you feel that uh, you've got a good chance of uh, making a change, you might pre the group leader might pre warn the leader of the council that this we're going to be putting this forward. Uh, just wanted to to pre warn you. So there's a certain kind of element of of courtesy. Um, but sometimes they they might take a different approach if it's a particularly uh, contentious issue they might like to have an element of surprise and drop it on the uh the council there there and then so there's always there's always different approaches depending so tactics yeah. this yes. is tactics. this is i don't know about you sean but i am getting this weird formula one vibe about it this kind of <laughs> when you're in a team with someone but you're also in opposition to them uh and like yeah. there has to be a team strategy but you also really want to win the race. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And it's something that I've always... It's, if we take F1, which is not really my sport, um, but, uh, but you know, I can definitely see where there is that kind of internal battle going on 
where you've got a group of people working towards a goal. But like you say, there's at the end of the day, there's two people kind of wanting to be number one on the podium. Um, and, and it's not somewhere where I feel I've been too many times uh, in environments. It's been a, it's been a lot more kind of, uh, it's been a lot more clearer for me. You know, I'm going for a goal. I'm going against this person. I'm going against this team. Uh, but but with Gareth, it seems a lot more nuanced in, in terms of how you have to go about it. And I know myself working with Gareth on certain projects and certain things uh, within within our school, that Gareth does take a lot more measured approach to things and then, then maybe I have done. And I kind of want to get to that end goal as soon as possible. Whereas Gareth is looking at all the different elements uh, that maybe I've not captured. And is that about protecting relationships? Is that about treating people the right way, do you think, Gareth? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes you've got to take, you've got to take people with you. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes it's a, it's a journey to get them to see the way that you're, you're seeing things. To, so, um, yeah, I suppose... It's interesting. I, I, I don't really see myself as politi- p- particularly political. I see myself as someone who wants to wants to do a good job, um, wants to make a difference. Um, Public service, and, not politics. Yeah, and I and and I think you you have to um, you have to. It's about. I think it's about being able to understand and read people. Yeah. Um, so I know there's a counsellor on at Chichester who uh, you you have to go through this process of massaging his ego mm. um, and treating him and treating him like he's more important than you, um, and that always is the best way to get the end result get what you get what you want out of him (laughs) which f1 driver would you compare them to i've been trying to think of f1 drivers if you're lewis hamilton who's he yeah that was my yeah that was my that was my that was as far as my f1 knowledge goes just that they compete against each other basically but i think it's that emotional intelligence gareth um and and i can say i can say i was looking for yeah i can say working with you i definitely know you have that in abundance but as someone who is not politically savvy at all in terms of knowledge or or understanding, um, you know, I vote. But when I do see when I do see politicians on TV, sometimes, and again, the media plays a huge part in this. But sometimes, emotional intelligence and and a politician seem so far removed from each other, uh, it can be quite scary. So. Is there is there training? Is there things that could be improved within politics? Do you think from that social and kind of emotional intelligence, uh, sorry, of, of people? And are we sometimes too harsh on people in in power that maybe they don't always have the tools around them to be the best team, to be the best leader? Um, there's there's quite extensive training when you when you first become. Um, uh, a counselor um so so you get um i mean obviously things that you have to have knowledge of that perhaps you haven't had before like uh, i'm involved in planning which i had no experience of before so i had to go i had to have uh, uh 
training for planning. Uh, we go through safeguarding training, to, so learning how to to keep ourselves safe from uh, things that may happen. Uh, the public, media tr- <laughs> the public. Um, uh, we have uh, we have media training. Um, so yeah, there's lots of um, there's there's lots of training. But in terms of um, emotional intelligence, perhaps we don't get training in that. But we get we get trained in the basic functions of of our of our role much like uh much like we do as teachers mm. when we come back in the summer we have inset training uh, to ensure that we can we can do the kind of basic functions of our role to a to a good standard yeah i just the, the only reason i asked that was just because i feel like as i said sometimes i feel like maybe we are giving a hard time to people in power sometimes just because I think we all expect them to kind of be robots and, uh, you know, make a perfect decision every time. And as humans, none of us, none of us do that. Um, you know, and there's so many complexities within politics that it's hard to get things right all the time. And I just think that someone could be trying to do a really good job, but the way in which they go about it may not be how the public perceives that as the right the right way to yeah do how it. does that trial and error that we encounter daily and that for me personally i consider a fundamental part of my process how does that trial and error get addressed in this environment where trial and error might not be what the public is expecting certainly i think um i think you have to realize quite quickly that you're you're not going to make everyone happy um yeah. <laughs> uh because the nature of the nature of things you know uh, it, for example planning is a massive part of being a district councillor there's always going to be uh, a planning application that goes in that this half of the room are going to be happy with and this half of the room are not going to be happy with and whichever kind of side you fall on you're always going to make one side unhappy mm. um the thing that i learned um, was that communication is really is really important. So, I, I have a very good example of a of an application that that went went in where I live, which was for a a new uh, village shop, which mm. largely was very well supported by the community. But the members of the community that were going to be um, that live right where the shop was going to be built weren't happy with with this application. Um, and so I was, um, I was going through a process where I was helping, uh, make sure that the application went through, but at the same time I was communicating with the other group to say, you know, although I support this application, here is what you need to do if you want to get your voice heard. So it wasn't that I, I left them because, oh, well, I'm with this team. It's making sure that no matter which side of the fence you fall on, that you're you're communicating and trying to trying to help everyone as best as you as best as you can. And I found in that situation, although they were disappointed that I was supportive of a of this uh, particular planning application, they they at least appreciated that I was I was giving them the the, the appropriate tools to ensure that they had a fighting chance of getting their their voice heard on the matter. Well, like you were saying before, it's not necessarily just about the vote. It's about how you influence the sh- and, and shape the 
proposal or the application in those stages beforehand and that's where the the subtlety and the negotiation and the act actually feels like it can happen so that even if you know it's going there's a majority in the likelihood that it's going to go one way or the other yeah you can find ways of changing towards something that suits a different set of people along the way because i think that's mm. something you know something to acknowledge about democracy generally is like there's a majority because more people voted and you're representing the will of a bunch of people yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think that's a really good point and and you know in this particular case it was actually it was useful engaging with the the group that were opposed because i got an idea of what what specifically they were opposed to so for example they felt like this the size of the building was too big mm. so you could then go back and say to the planning officer is there anything you can do on the size of the building so two story well, gregs exactly <laughs> you always need a two story gregs <laughs> in that uh, in that description you uh, talked about engaging with the public and in a slightly abstract, arty way, I was wondering how you consider the public as far as teams go. Because when we're thinking about the people working towards the same goal as being the same team, I kind of assume that the people who voted for you and the people who voted for that council are also members of that team. How how do you engage with the public in a way that that has that kind of sense of collaboration um well for i you know for me um communication has always been one of the the, the most important things for me to be effective in my in my role um and when, in fact when i was um campaigning to get elected um it's one thing that came up really strongly from members of the public that they they didn't feel listened to um and they didn't they didn't see their the local representatives. Mm. So I I made it um, kind of my mission to be a very kind of vis visible person, even even if um, the people don't necessarily like um, the colour uh, of your party tie. that I represent. Um, at least they know that, um, you know, now for the next four years, I am their, I'm their counsellor. Yeah. You know, in four years' time, if they don't like that particular party, they they have the choice to vote for someone else. Um, so I have kind of, um, you know, the obvious communication platforms, the social media platforms, um, but I also, well, I did in the, during the days when we were actually allowed to kind of see people face to face, I ran um, surgeries, yep. very regular surgeries at the weekend. Um, but I also, um yeah, I, I write for the local parish magazines. Um, I, I visit people outside of my surgery time. I attend every single community event that, that I physically physically can attend. Have you had so to cut ribbons? I, I had to judge a doggy contest, which was one of the <laughs> brilliant <laughs> moments of my life, in fact. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, so it's about it, it's about being visible. It's also, you know, sometimes sometimes you do have to deal with challenging unpopular things that happen in the community um, and it's kind of taking taking that face on not not kind of not hiding behind it do you think gareth that's one of the 
kind of one of the biggest gripes from from the public, regardless of what kind of uh, party they're with or whatever. It's, it is that not being heard. Yeah. And, and do you think that if you can kind of nail that part of your job um, or of that part of your role, you're on a really strong kind of uh, on a really strong kind of winner um, to to be a successful kind of counselor. Yeah, I, I kind of for me the way that I I've approached being a counselor is actually the way I approached being uh, being a teacher, being uh, being a manager. I kind of I I feel very strongly about being being kind of there amongst the team being being uh, being visible but but also you know, doing what's the best way to to describe it in the trenches <laughs> yeah so i can kind of i can kind of think about it from a yeah you know, if the community say we've got a massive problem with litter with litter in the community then being seen out there collecting litter with the public rather than saying i oh yeah it's great we we need to have litter clearances yeah that's a very bad. That's not a very good description. But. No, I think that's bang on actually. And I and you know I've said that we do know you via college. There are these. If I reflect on it, there are these elements of your work at school that are, in many ways, trying to get the young people that we work with to engage in these mechanisms of uh, change, of taking action of public service and community service generally. And I think that if we're talking about leadership and often our team's conversations go down to leadership, there is zero value in the person that turns up, blows the air horn at the beginning of the letter pick and then goes off to the photo shoot open in the co-op and then seconds after that goes off to judge the doggy show. Mm. If you're asking people to do something, it has to come with a willingness or at least an understanding or a willingness to understand what it is you're asking them to do. And a lot of the time that comes from doing. Now, there's a big difference between adult and young person. But at the same time, I mean, can you describe how you're trying to bring that into into the, the school environment? Because we have some vocabulary within the school that that very much ties in to what you've used here. You describe to them this idea of, of surgeries rather than office hours. Mm, the students yeah. in the lower school could could come and see you during these kind of open door sessions of visibility. Yeah, they're they're the protected time, the time that is that is for them. Yeah. And not for any anyone else. Yeah. So the, the kind of guaranteed guaranteed time that they uh they can can see me, and I suppose in a way we were we were doing it with the health charter as well. Mm. We, we we were asking students to do something, but we were, um, you know, myself and other other members of staff were actually then saying, presenting to them things that they had done yeah. as part of the as part of that charter as well. So um, I think yeah, I think that that because is potentially for me there is a process by which any. Uh, a, a, a distrust or a mistrust of politicians from the point of view of I don't feel listened to or heard in many ways can be tracked back to something learned in school about adults where young people go I have learned that someone is going to stand in front of me with a powerpoint 
tell me something that I'm supposed to consider important and then in the next second show me that it's not that important to them yeah and I think that that that's potentially learned behavior during the school years that then finds itself being repeated in uh, how people engage with with their local politics so I find it interesting that you as an educator uh, are working in a way that's that's trying to model that communication that you're describing i think um you know as a as a district councillor i pick up a lot of um i get contacted by a lot of things that aren't actually my job Mm. um and it would be very easy to say well that's that's not that's not on my job description that's not in my that's not in my remit you need to go to that person on our manifesto (laughs) yeah so then so with that i've i've tended to pick up I tend to just try and solve these things for them rather than rather than say, oh, that's not my responsibility. Um, and I can explain to them, well, actually, that's a West Sussex County Council issue. But let me let me see if I can go away and see if I can get an answer for you and then go back back to them with an answer. So um, and I, I think I've I kind of I've always approached my working life like that. I don't really. I don't actually know what's on my job description. I don't tend yeah. to. Yeah. Sean, which which Belbin team role does that sound like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think Gareth, uh, obviously, as as someone who has who has worked uh, with you and within kind of the same team as you, I think mm-hmm. I I I really like the fact that you were thinking about the student and putting the student first, and I think obviously all teachers want to do that and all kind of uh, any senior management uh, within any school obviously wants to do that. But sometimes we we can forget to do it um, or it doesn't become priority number one. And I really liked what you've done with the surgeries there where you gave the students that time to come and speak to you. And if you just put that into more of a corporate business type of thing or in a, in a more adult environment, it's it's having those line managers or having those people of kind of senior to you to say look this is protected time I'm giving it to you because I understand the importance of communication and I understand the importance that at some point you may want to have a chat with me or you may need to discuss something with me and when we're all so busy in our jobs and we're all cracking on every day sometimes it's hard to think about others and sometimes it's hard to think well hang on I'm really busy but someone might need some of my my time right now and so and so I really Mm. liked what you've done there and secondly I think people can empathize with with management and can empathize with people in senior positions if they see that they're in the trenches with them that thing that you described at the beginning that there are people doing the jobs not jobs that don't have lives and emotions and and interests that are human behind them exactly so uh, so yeah they're just two things that i can give as practical examples of of things that working with you i've really seen you be that kind of person within a team that people can kind of rely on and that you're visible and that you're engaged with what with what you're doing and i'm sure the same is 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 being done with with yourself as a as a counselor um so yeah, I'm not in your district, so I can't say for sure, but hopefully. Yeah, I am reminded of the conversation I, I we had with uh, Kevin Casey from the RAF, where he was talking about, and this is from the being a leader point of view, the idea that hearing everyone's ideas is crucial. 
Yeah. And what you do with those ideas is down to the system that's set up for him. It goes up the hierarchy for other people. It might go to a vote, but the moment you don't hear an idea, you're shutting a person down Yeah, and also limiting all your options. So I think, I think it's, that becomes a huge tool of empowerment for young people and the general public both both in positions where they probably don't feel like they have a massive agency in what's happening around them um so gareth we we do ask our guests um if there has mm-hmm. been anyone that kind of has influenced them in kind of their career or in how they lead teams or in your case obviously lead lead your your kind of district um and we say coaches make coaches so is there anyone out there that's kind of molded you to a certain degree in terms of how you you approach being part of a team or in your career? Wow. That's a, that's a tough one. I think, um, so I, 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 I went into teaching, um, I say relatively late. I, I, I was retrained as a teacher when I was 29. Um, got my first role at 30. Um, and, um, or first teaching proper full-time teaching role at 30. Um, my, and, and I went to, I joined a college called, um, Strode's college in, in Egham. And, um, my line manager there at the time was, uh, was Amanda, Amanda down. And, um, uh, I, I, I really liked her because she, um, she trusted me to do my job. Um, she gave me, she gave me autonomy to shape the job in the way that suited, suited kind of my, my skill set. Um, she, but she was always incredibly, incredibly kind of open in, in the sense that I could go and see her, um, talk through kind of this, I'm thinking of doing this, um, you know, what do you think? And, um, she was a very kind of very open, um, very, very generous with her time person, but also, you know, incredibly, incredibly encouraging. Um, she didn't, she didn't micromanage me, but I felt, I felt well managed mm. that, if yeah. that makes sense. She gave me, she gave me space to develop. She gave me opportunities to, to develop. Uh, and she, yeah, I think I said at the beginning, trust, she trusted me to, to do the job that she had hired me for. And, and I trusted that, she would tell me if I if I wasn't. It's so it's so that feedback, particularly if, and you weren't necessarily the youngest teacher, but as a new teacher, that mm. that feedback from someone that you're on the right track becomes so important. Yeah, and I think uh, you know uh, the one thing that really struck me about her is um, when you go through a tough personal experience how your manager responds in that moment is when you know you've got a good manager and uh you know i've told i've told both of you about Mm. when my my mum unfortunately passed away but it was the the care that that manager gave me and the care that the in ensuring that i got the time and space to to grieve but also making sure that I understood that the they supported me. Um, that's that's really you know that's when you know you've got got a good manager when you go through those particularly yeah. tough personal moments. Hugely, 
um, uh, shout out Amanda Down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's so interesting. We've had, we asked that of everyone and the amount of times it goes back to this person believed in me more than I believed in myself or this person supported me when I wasn't able to support myself. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so interesting. Um, and then the second question, I don't know if there will be anything or even if you're allowed to answer this question. Um, we, we ask mm. people if there's anything they want to plug or point people towards, uh, you know, if you have a uh, GoFundMe for a litter pick in Loxwood <laughs> that you want to send people towards or uh, how people might be able to be more engaged in your work. So um, the one thing I want to plug, which is um, something I've been uh, heavily involved in for a number of years, is work I do with Surfers Against Sewage, which is uh, their their plastic-free campaign. Um, and um, during this uh, current pandemic crisis, um, unfortunately, a lot of the good work that had and a lot of the progress in terms of elimination of plastic or reduction of plastic has has come undone because uh, quite rightly people are concerned about um, uh, hygiene and, uh, and and contamination. And so, um, in some ways, when you go back into the supermarket, things have uh, regressed somewhat. So you're seeing individual croissants now wrapped up in in plastic um, and uh, Surfers Against Sewage have launched a campaign um, to help people reduce their plastic use during COVID-19. Um, so I guess I think it's important that um, I, I, I would just like to acknowledge that a lot of great work have been done in, in eliminating un, unnecessary plastics and uh, um, we despite everything else that's going on, we can't lose sight of the of kind of our environmental goals. Yeah. Um, brilliant. We'll put a link to uh, Surfers Against Sewage website in the show notes. Um, uh, all that's left then is for us to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been like the amount I didn't know about... Thank you for having me. ...how local government works. Like absolute behind closed doors mystery that you've that you've helped me understand a little bit more but also just how that backwards and forwards being on the same team but being against each other i find so interesting so thank you for chatting to us about it what i would say mark is um if you've uh, found something interesting you should attend a uh, one of your local council meetings and uh, you'll you'll get to find out a bit more about it I so this is the thing I don't even know I don't even know where or what they are I do know that Lambeth has an incredible mayor now uh whose name is uh Normal Normal I think it's Philip Normal and he's he's amazing uh I'll I'll, have to, I'll, I'll put a link to Philip Normal's Instagram <laughs> in in the show notes as well um, but I don't know how it works in London as far as districts and local councils go. It's where it's borough, it's borough councils and most of their meetings take place in the evenings. Yeah. Go down to Olive Morris House in, in, in Brixton. So you can, yeah, you can attend. Well, they'll all be online at the moment, so you can just watch from the comfort of your own home. Wow. What the- and that goes out to everyone. Go and watch your local yeah. council meeting. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gareth. 
Always a pleasure. That's Always right. a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you to Gareth Evans for that chat, taking us inside uh, the the machinery of local governance. That was re- that was f- super fascinating for me. I think of everyone that we've had on, I feel like I know the least about what Gareth has to do as a councillor, even though it has, although not directly, because I didn't vote for him. Um, well, I'm sure I would if the opportunity came yeah, up. Yeah, we'd but, give Gareth the vote. Uh, but that, like, I vote for a local councillor, and at the end, when he was saying, like, while lockdown's still going on and they're still holding these meetings in Zoom yeah. or whatever, go in and watch a council meeting. I feel like I kind of have to do that now. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, as I, as I was kind of saying, you know, I my my experience of politics is very much just what i see on the news which is Mm. is the big dogs you know and when you kind of drill down into it and and you are at local kind of councillor level that's where a lot of actual kind of tangible things happen tangible change happens that people are actually they do actually feel the effects of that. Yeah, like the shop that he was talking about that shop's going to change some people's lives in a really important way for the better and for others it'll make it you know an eyesore or whatever but yeah and the it's change the sa- is happening on the ground yeah and it's the same you know you, you hear the stories of a, a local community center being closed down for apartments and and that's actually happened locally uh, to where i live um and you know i've, I've not been at meetings and i've not been super uh, active in that um and after this podcast it's kind of made me think a little bit about like you said, maybe being a bit more engaged in it and knowing a bit more yeah. about what my local kind of councillor does for for the area that I live in, because it is important. Con- considering ourselves part of that team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because imagine if more people were involved on a kind of local level in terms yeah. of the community. Imagine how much more probably you know backing things would get and, and how much more change would potentially happen um, because at the moment there's probably only a few people within a local kind of council area that probably care about yeah. things. I was thinking, it reminded me actually, you saying that, it reminded me of like uh, Wikipedia. They say that that the majority of the changes, that 80% of the changes on Wikipedia, which anyone can edit, yeah. are made by like the same 20 people. And oh, wow. Yeah. That there are people who've committed a whole bunch of time to keeping this information updated and whatever. They're the ones uh, upon whom we're relying whenever we go, uh, who was it in that movie? And we start tapping away. And it's kind of the same with local government. If you're the noisy person in those meetings, you're more likely to have the impact than than me sitting, you know, watching a film and tapping away on Wikipedia trying to find yeah. out what the name of that guy yeah. is. I was going to say for Wikipedia, or you're doing a piece of schoolwork yeah. <laughs> and go straight to Wikipedia. But um, but also, yeah, just don't be the person that whinges about, you know, stuff in your local area if you're not putting in the if you're not putting in the effort to be part of of change. Otherwise, you're yeah. going to have to deal with the powers that be. Um, but no, I think Gareth 
uh, gave a great account of himself and what he's doing yeah. uh, in his local area, and he genuinely does care. You know, yeah, he is like a started of started as activist, exactly you know, was, was doing the work before he was elected, and then has taken that into his work, and that that feels huge. Uh, it was amazing to him talk about. Uh, again, I always come back to it, like humanity, like remembering yeah. that the people you're working with aren't the enemy. Um, that changed my perspective a little bit, I think. Um, and I think you can see that in a, in a. I think sometimes you can see that in a in a sporting context as well as 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 I as I tend to go back to because a lot of the time you know managers will talk about worrying about ourselves and and our own performance opposed to what the opposition can do to us yeah. and worrying about the opposition. So if you are in that in that council meeting and you've done all the preparation on what you guys can do as, as a group opposed to the opposition, um, you know, I, I would imagine that you'd, you'd be successful um, in, in worrying about your own performance. Yeah. And I love, I, yeah, I love, I'll, I'll stick the, uh, the link in the show notes, but I love even with the opportunity to plug anything he wants he's saying surfers against sewage come on check out uh, how this organization and their activity has been impacted by covid uh you know he can't stop himself from being noble <laughs> he'll he'll love that Chich- chichester are lucky to <laughs> yeah, have him he'll love that <laughs> so yeah that's that's that for this week uh next week uh probably going to go back to some arts or some sports just so that Sean and I uh, can regain our interview balance a little bit yeah <laughs> uh, so that we know what we're talking about a little bit more uh, so got some good people lined up for the future uh, in the meantime though we've got a couple of requests request number one tell us who you want on you can at us on twitter or instagram at no i podcast or you can email us or you can leave a voice note if you're listening on anchor and then number two uh, is uh, leave a review on itunes uh, or google podcasts if you've enjoyed it if you think it's something that other people might get some value out of which is really why we're doing this uh, that really helps to kind of bump it up how it gets seen by people who aren't me and sean going around saying have you heard my podcast have you heard my podcast <laughs> which is what we do all the time um, yeah we are close socially distanced obviously but we're just shouting it across the street um (laughs) and then and then the third thing is uh if there is someone you know who you think might get something out of listening to sean and i chat to people like gareth or people like joe from last week uh who are in a team or interested in teams like let them know about it get them to subscribe because uh we're really loving it we really want people to get value out of it and keep it going uh the discount code for the uh, belbin team roles assessment is still up that's no i podcast all one word all, all lowercase um so if you still want to check that out you can check that out uh sean anything you want to sign off with uh no just uh looking forward to next week's episode and yeah guys please please do pass on the podcast um i do it with with other podcasts that i find interesting to me um so yeah in in your little gang people that you hang around with that you have similar interests with um pass on the podcast you can find us you can find us in uh, itunes uh, sorry apple podcasts is what it is now google podcasts pocket casts uh, Spreaker, Spotify, Anchor, all the places you find podcasts, we're on it now. 
so uh, yeah, send people our way. Uh, last thing to say is goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And uh, goodbye from me. Go vote. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes. <laughs>